Financial advisors often regard closed-ended investment companies as a riskier investment choice. Some confine their recommendations to more traditional open-ended investment funds. My guest today is keen to promote the opportunities offered by investment companies and to overcome some of the perceptions people have about them. Listen to Annabelle talk about the differences between these investment vehicles and how they can form part of a well-rounded portfolio. Hear about the work the Association of Investment Companies is carrying out in response to RDR, the training they are taking on the road and the initial success they've had integrating social media into their communications. That's all right here in episode 42 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAS. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hello and welcome to the Empath Podcast and thank you as always for plugging me into your headphones. Before we get to this week's brilliant interview with Annabelle Brody-Smith, can I just ask you a quick favour? I'm looking for new guests to talk to on the podcast. If you have a business model, product or campaign you want to talk about or anything financial services or marketing related you want to get off your chest, I'd love to interview you for the show. Interested? Tweet me at roger underscore edwards or go to rogeredwards.co.uk and get in touch. If you don't want to appear yourself, but you know someone who does, I'd be grateful for a referral. Again, tweet me at roger underscore edwards or go to rogeredwards.co.uk for the contact form. And now, investment companies, opportunities and Annabelle Brody-Smith. So let's get started with today's interview and I am delighted to introduce you to my guest today and she is Annabelle Brody-Smith. Annabelle is Communications Director at the Association of Investment Companies. She focuses on communicating the uses, features and benefits of investment companies to the media, opinion formers, financial advisors, wealth managers and private investors. She leads the AIC's public relations and her challenges have included transforming the profile of the AIC, its advertising campaign and the splits crisis. Annabelle is also leading the AIC's response to RDR and has implemented a training and information program for advisors, including training seminars, online training, a dedicated section of the website and an online newsletter. So Annabelle, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Hello Roger, very glad to be here. And just so that everybody knows, I'm actually sat in your offices in Chiswell Street as opposed to talking on Skype. I'm very lucky I have you here, Roger, with me. Personal, personal visitation. So before we get started, Annabelle, and we're going to talk about RDR and how it's been implemented and the effect that that's had on the financial services industry. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from, what your ambitions are. Basically, Annabelle, what makes you tick? Wow, what a question, Roger. Well, I'm, I'm from Cardiff, so I am actually from Wales, and okay. I do like rugby, I have to admit as well. <laughs> um, I'm from Cardiff. I actually came to London, and I did my degree in geography in London. I then went to America. I applied and got um, 
uh, some funding to go to America to do my MA. So I did an MA in geography. I lived in a place called Syracuse, upstate New York. It was a real experience, but exceptionally cold and snowy. Okay. And it's made me realize I never want to live anywhere cold again. <laughs> I then came back from that. I did a couple of jobs, couldn't really find what I wanted to do. I actually came across a PR course at Cardiff University and thought, yeah, I think I'd really like to do PR. So I did that course and as a result of that, I went to work at Hill and Knowlton, big PR agency. Okay. I did that for a year, but really I knew I was interested in markets. I was interested in investment and Hill and Nelson was pretty focused on consumer type PR and there were limited opportunities in the financial area. So I actually came to the AIC, I've got to say, 17 years ago. 17? 17 years ago. And I started as a lowly PR manager. In fact, I think I was a press officer. I started as a press officer and then I got promoted to PR manager and then communications director. And clearly my role has changed along the way. So at one stage, for example, I managed events. Now I'm not managing events, but I have been looking after... Uh, the impact of RDR and the industry and how we're going to respond. Um, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. I've got to say, a little known fact about me is that I'm actually a very keen horse rider. And the reason why I have to work so hard here is because I've got a horse, Anastasia, who lives in Buckinghamshire, and she eats my money. She must cost a <laughs> fortune. <laughs> she does. She does, which is why I've got to work very hard here. I have got two children as well. Right. And they're, they're not... They're not as expensive as well, the horse. Well, horse is probably worse, <laughs> but they're, they're no bargain either. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody listening to the Empath podcast knows something about the AIC, but maybe just give us a little bit of background about the AIC and what it does. Absolutely. Well, we're the trade organisation for investment companies. Now, many of your listeners might know us better as investment trusts. Mm -hmm. So we represent investment trusts. We also represent venture capital trusts. Okay. We've been going for a very long time and we're here to represent our members' interests. But what we actually do is try and achieve the best sort of public affairs, regulatory, legal environment for our members. So that involves a lot of lobbying with the FCA, the Treasury, increasingly from Europe actually mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to that, we're helping our members who are non-executive directors of investment trusts, they're the board members, we're helping them with as much information as we can provide them, because obviously they're not perhaps working full-time in the investment trust industry. Mm -hmm. So we provide them with information, we have a big conference, we have events, we try and get make sure that get, they've got the key issues which affect the industry, they right. understand those. And then finally, and that really comes to my area, is sort of education, training and promotion. So um, I'm going to tell you a lot about our training program on the work we've uh, started for advisors and wealth managers. We also run a very proactive PR campaign. Indeed. We, uh, we have to punch above our weight. We're much smaller in comparison to the open-ended industry, so we're very proactive on PR. We've also got um, a website and provide a lot of statistics for the industry. So that's sort of what the association does. Um, in a nutshell, we're a 134 billion industry. Right. And there's just over 400 investment trusts. And 
We're going to talk about RDR today and effectively the industry's response to RDR. And you're in charge of putting together the AIC's response to RDR. I am. And I have to say, I mean, we, not surprisingly, we're very excited about the opportunities that RDR provided for the industry. Clearly, the abolition of commission, which was seen as a barrier to advisors recommending investment trusts, was very helpful for us. Mm -hmm. Also, the fact that we were going to have advisors at level four, better qualified advisors, again, very useful for us as as an industry. And really, investment trusts are going to be put on a level playing field with open-ended funds. So we viewed this as, as an opportunity. But as all opportunities, it's not just going to come to you. We really think thought we needed to come up with a plan of action for us to capture some of that opportunity. And, um, you know, we did, for example, surveys with advisors and lack of, of education, lack of training, lack of information on investment trusts was a big reason for them in terms of not recommending them. We also looked at some of the other reasons why they're not recommending them. I might go into those Mm -hmm. in a bit more detail. Mm -hmm. But it was clear that we needed to come up with a plan for the industry. So what we decided to do was to implement an education and training program and we for advisors and wealth managers. And we've done that in a number of ways. So for example, we are go around the country, we're doing ten seminars around the country that started in June and we've done a series of these. We also did online training on our website because not everybody wants to be out of the office. Mm -hmm. And particularly running up to RDR, we started thinking about this probably at the beginning of 2011 and we had our program in place sort of by the end of 2011. We wanted online training which helped advisors meet their level four uh, qualification when it came to investment trusts. We've also looked at how we can get help other trade bodies, other advisor trade bodies and organisations. So, for example, we've done quite a lot of work with the Institute of Financial Planners and uh, we attended actually one of their conferences last week, the Accredited Firms Conference. We've also done a lot of work with the CII and PFS and, in fact, we've gone around the country talking at various branch meetings. So that was sort of the education part of the programme we decided on. We also decided that we needed a specific area of our website for advisors and wealth managers, and we've put that in place. So we've got specific material for whether it's our training material, but also whether it's news, information, data. We've got a lot of data on the industry on our website. And then we also thought, well, we really need to communicate. Yeah to these people. It's all very well having all this stuff. We've got no way of communicating. Mm. So uh, we implemented a newsletter. We've got a lovely newsletter. Investment is called Investment Company Spotlight, okay. which goes out monthly. We've also um, really got a PR program to sort of back that up. And more recently, we've been doing social media too. So that was that was sort of the initial plan. And and. It's clear that we had a big task to do. You know, let me get it clear. Advisors still make up, advisors clients make up less than 1% of the investment trust industry shareholders. Right. We've got a big slug of wealth managers, the sort of Brathbones, Mm -hmm. Growing Dolphins, those, we've got a big slug of those. We've still got a significant slug of institutional investors. Right. 
we've got a big uh, slug of um, direct retail investors, the sort of people who are going through Hargreaves, Lansdowne and all those other platforms. We've got a significant share of those, but we've still got work to do mm-hmm. on advisors. And what are the challenges that advisors and others are facing post-RDR that you're going to be helping them with on your website, in your roadshows, and in your training? Well, I think post-RDR, advisors really, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity, actually, I have to say that. And I think there are other opportunities coming along, notably the pension Mm -hmm. changes, actually. Mm But advisors clearly needed to differentiate their offering to, you know, costs have gone up and, you know, cost of advice has become more expensive, etc. So advisors really need to differentiate what they're offering. And, and, and we think investment trusts offer something a little bit different mm-hmm. to your usual solution. You know, we have a very strong long-term performance record. If you, we do research, um, in fact, Canical Genuity do it on our behalf, and they look at the comparable performance of investment trusts and open-ended funds, and over 10 years, in 11 out of 15 comparable sectors, investment trusts have outperformed open-ended funds. Right. In five years, 12 out of 15 sectors we've outperformed. But I've got to tell you, over one year, open-ended funds are outperforming us. Right. And I think this is the message we sort of want to get across mm-hmm. to us. Our long-term performance is generally very strong, mm-hmm. but you are going to have a little bit more of a volatile ride with an investment trust. You know, that's the strength of the structure. It's what gives you that long-term performance, but it gives you a bit more volatility Maybe let's just have along a, the way. a quick check-in here and say, what is the difference for the uninitiated between an investment trust and an open-ended? Sure. Well, investment trust is a company quoted on the stock market, and there's a, one of its most important features is it's closed-ended. Right. Which means there's a fixed number of shares in issue. Whereas an open-ended fund, as the word says, mm-hmm. it's open-ended. Completely. It increases and decreases in size according to supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And it is a fund, you know, it has trustees, but it's set up basically by the fund management group. That's the sort of the structural differences. Mm -hmm. With the investment trust, there are some other features, and there's some specific features that we're trying to address with our training at the moment. Uh, Investment trusts have the freedom to gear. That means they can borrow money. Mm-hmm. And they say, I see a nice sort of stock and I think, oh, I'd like to invest in that stock. I think it's going to go well. Then I can borrow money, some money, invest in that stock. And the idea is that the investment's going to go up yeah. and it's going to cover the cost of my borrowing and give me a bit of a profit on top. Right. And this is one of the, one of a key concern mm-hmm. of advisors is gearing because, of course, it does add a little bit more volatility yes. to investment trusts. Interestingly, when I go into rooms of advisors and I say, what do you think the average level of gearing is in our industry? They normally say to me, oh, 15, 20%. And the actual level is 7%. Right. So, I mean, that is a key issue Mm -hmm. for us. In addition, um, there are other issues. uh, Investment trust trade at discounts or premiums. So this is another little difference from the open-ended sector. In the open-ended sector, you trade, you pay, uh, you buy it at your NAV, the net asset value, what it's worth. With investment trusts, because they're companies listed mm-hmm. in the market, you've got investor sentiment playing a play, playing you know a role in yes. in determining their price. So sometimes they, their uh, share price might be lower. Generally, it's lower 
then their net asset value, what's it's worth, and then you'd say it's trading at a discount. Sometimes it might be much higher, and then you'd say it's trading at a premium. Generally, um, actually discounts are very low for our sector. Generally, investment just trade at a discount. Discount is probably only about 3% at the moment. Okay. But all of this adds a bit more volatility. So um, we've produced, and we've asked Chemical Genuity to produce these performance figures for us so that advisors can understand in different market circumstances how investment trust and the features that they have affect their performance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in strong markets, investment trusts tend to outperform. In weaker markets, they tend to underperform. And, you know, so it's a big education yeah. role. We've really got a big education role. And, you know, you've got to remember, we've got sort of inbuilt, uh, you know, advisors, not surprisingly, are used to using open-ended funds. They're quite happy. And we have to really explain our benefits, that strong long-term performance. We also have a very important benefit when it comes to income, which has been very important because, of course, interest rates are at all-time low. low. All-time low. So that is very important because investment trusts and open-ended funds have to distribute all their income to the unit holders every year, whereas investment trusts can retain up to 15% of the income each year tuck it away mm-hmm. for a rainy day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the revenue reserve. And then when things get a bit tough, and, and you know, investment things do get tough, so yes. BP uh, has an oil spill and cuts its dividend or suspends its dividend, Tesco's and yes. their accounting scandal impact on the dividend, yes. then they can use that income they've got tucked away to boost up their, their dividends. So we have companies with... A 48-year record of dividend increases every year. So, you know, these are the advantages. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a challenge to sort of change perceptions. Mm-hmm. And it's been a very interesting experience. And, and what's, the, uh, what's the proportion <laughs> of recommendations that IFAs are making versus investment trusts and open-ended funds? Well, I mean, it's actually still pretty small. And we mm-hmm. have... I, I might be giving my uh, my results away here when I tell you this, but we we Matrix Solutions gives us the data looking at investment trust purchases versus open ended purchases through advisor platforms. Okay. I actually haven't got onto the point that actually that's probably the third reason okay. we've got three biggest platforms that still don't have investment trusts that's on them. That's interesting. Although. We've just had a very high-profile investment trust launch, Woodford Patient Capital. Uh-huh. Mr. Neil Woodford himself. Uh-huh. And as a result of that, one of those platforms, Funds Network, has put that trust up. Mm-hmm. And I think there are plans afoot for that to change. Mm-hmm. But when we looked at, at, at the platform data, you know, we have actually more than doubled since pre-RDR, we're mm-hmm. up 106% mm-hmm. in terms of advisor purchases, but it's still only around 450 million. And as I said, we're 134 billion industry. Yes. And if you look at the advisor figures, it's sort of 12 billion plus. And perceptions, the industry seems to be absolutely awash with perceptions. It doesn't matter whether you're in the investment space, pensions, yes. protection... Advisors will have preconceptions and perceptions about issues, and unfortunately that transfers itself into the consumer as well. So if you've got an issue educating an advisor that actually the gearing on an investment trust isn't as high as you might think it is, so actually the risk, although there is a risk, isn't as high as you might think of it, I would assume that the consumers have that perception as well. So you've got to 
job to overcome that with the advisor and then we've yeah. got to take that through to I the consumer. I mean it's consumer. interesting because obviously the direct investors, those those sort of people who are doing it themselves, mm-hmm. I think they probably are a little bit more sophisticated and perhaps they don't worry so much right. about... I mean I think I can totally understand an advisor's point of mm-hmm. view that they are there to manage risk mm-hmm. as well as the investment and, and and therefore, you know, they've got more concerns about managing that risk effectively. Mm-hmm. I think private investors maybe take a bit more of a gung-ho attitude yes, sure. and think, well, it's a long-term you know, investment and I'm in charge of it, so it's my problem if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can understand for advisors, it's much more difficult. But open-ended products are very good as well. You yeah. know, they're both very good, investment trust and open-ended products. But I think we're just encouraging advisors to take a look at investment trusts and perhaps for those clients where it's suitable, they should be considering them. For those clients who've got maybe slightly higher risk attitude, maybe an investment trust would be a very good vehicle. And so we've got an IFA, an advisor, who's looking at the difference between an open-ended investment and an investment trust. What are the one or two big messages that you'll be taking out as part of your post-RDR training to Encourage them to consider the investment trust as an alternative to well, the open-ended I mean, fund. You know, obviously, strong long-term performance, strength when it comes to dividends, um, ability to offer something different. I talked about offering something different. Mm. Ability uh, investment trust. Actually, the Woodford Patient Capital launch is a great example because Neil Woodford there is investing in startup and very small companies mm-hmm. in that sort of biotech um, sphere and. That's why you can do that with an investment trust because the closed ended structure, fixed number of assets. You know, you can invest in these sort of illiquid companies, these small companies. You can invest in private equity. You can invest in perhaps infrastructure in the roads and the hospitals. And we have companies doing all of this. Mm-hmm which you can't with an open-ended fund because, of course, you have to give people back their money. Yes. And and the thing with some a very small company, you can't sell it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't sell it. When, when tough times are tough, that cannot be sold. Yes. Um, and I think um, the property sector in the 2008 crisis is quite a good example of this, where the open-ended funds really struggled because they could not sell their properties. Investment trusts, the share price really suffered. Mm-hmm. Very tough. But they could kept, keep their portfolio intact. So I think we'll be talking about that. Okay. I think the other thing we'll be talking about is that there are a number of vehicles, investment trusts and open-ended funds run by the same manager. Okay. And I think that's a really good way to start. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with the, with the open-ended fund that the manager's running, then why don't you look across... Mm-hmm. take a look at the investment yeah. trust and I have to say over the long term the investment trust tends to have a very strong performance record mm. but you know you're familiar with one take a look and see what his we call them sister funds sister funds okay see what see what the investment trust for and by the same manager is doing and how it's different and you're taking these messages out on the road what do you think the the main challenges you're going to face are to get these messages across um, it, it, I think our main challenge is it, it, it takes time and you know we're, we're dealing with attitudes that have been you know there and understandably for a long time because of the barriers that were in place um, so I think I think that's our main issue really but I mean it's interesting quite often I go out and I talk to advisors and I say 
how many of you recommend VCTs, venture capital trusts? Now, I think advisors sometimes aren't aware that they are actually investment trusts. Right. And they're actually the most, probably the most, one of the more high risk Mm -hmm. areas of investment trust. They're invested in startups, companies, small companies, and, you know, as a result, a fair amount of risk. And obviously, that's why the government is offering you the tax break to Mm -hmm. make it worth your Mm -hmm. while. Mm -hmm. And I will ask them how many invest in VCTs. Nearly, probably half the hands in the room will go up. And I'll say, how many invest in the investment trust? And there's about two hands. Again, it's perceptions, and isn't it, it is perception, yeah. and it, you know it takes time to work on that. And we're for us, we're you know just always trying to think of new ways mm-hmm. to express things, to make it practically useful for advisors in their work, but also new methods. So, for example, we've recently had a look at social media. Yeah. Um, and how are you getting on with social media? Well, I think we're getting on quite well, actually. Okay. I think we're getting on quite well. I mean, you know what it's like; it's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we started off um, on Twitter, um, and this is just, we had an AIC Press Twitter feed. Um, and what I found is interesting is how influential it is with, with journalists. Mm. So I think we've sort of become more astute about that. We've now introduced our personal, this for me quite recently, end of January, I've got my personal Twitter feed, and I am focusing on journalists and advisors. Yes. What's interesting is how many how many advisors, journalists, analysts, sort of decision makers in general are on Twitter. Absolutely. And it's I think people incredible. like to interact with a person. So they'd much rather see Annabelle Brody Smith on Twitter than yeah. the name of the company you work Absolutely. for. Absolutely. Also, the thing reason why I wanted my own feed is I can be a lot more outspoken yes. and opinionated <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. than the ARC can be. So I wanted to be able to be on that. And I, I you know, I felt it's been very useful. We're now doing a lot more work. We started doing a lot more with LinkedIn mm-hmm. and uh, LinkedIn groups and LinkedIn advisor groups. And, and that's been a sort of a slow burn, but I can see that that's beginning to pick up as well. So, you know, I would encourage uh, listeners out there to think about social media. Um, as I said, I mean, I think it's incredible the influence it has in the media. L- last week, uh, week before last, I, I, I had a tweet. I just said, you know, is Woodford Patient Capital going to be the biggest investment trust launch? Here's the next biggest before. Investment advisor completely just replicated that mm-hmm. from the tweet. Mm-hmm. And they said it's from her Twitter. And I I was like, oh my God, somebody's actually, somebody's (laughs) actually looking at this Uh stuff. Uh But it's amazing how influential it is. I think you have to look at all methods of communication. Annabelle, Mm -hmm. just uh, starting to think about wrapping up now, what would you say was the one big idea or the one big message that you would like those people who are listening to the Empath podcast today to take away from this conversation that we're having, to take away from the experience you've had so far in the post-RDR world? I think you've just got to be persistent. It takes a long time to change attitudes and you have to be persistent. You have to keep thinking of new ways to get your message across, new methods of using your, getting your message. We're actually seeing pretty good results. As I said, our, our purchases have more than doubled since RDR. But still, there's so much work to do. Annabelle, thanks so much 
for that insight into investment trusts and open-ended funds and, and what the AIC is doing after RDR to educate advisors and to take the market forward. It's been a fascinating conversation and I always say this, one of the best reasons for doing the Empath podcast is I learn just as much of the people who are listening to it. Before we go, I always like to finish the podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you happy to stay for a couple more moments for that? Most definitely. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, you know, perhaps by waving a magic wand, what would it be? I think it would have to be better educated consumers. I have to tell you, I'm passionate about financial education, particularly in schools. Um, I used to be on the board of a charity, the Personal Finance Education Group, okay. who whose aim was to get financial education to schools and onto the curriculum, and they have succeeded in much of that. But I still think there's a lot of work to be done in this area. So I think financial education in all schools, primary schools, secondary schools, higher education, I think that would help us all. We're all going to have to manage our money. What's the one business model or product or campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? Even if it was from a competitor, tell us what you liked about it. Okay, well, I'm going to do one serious one, first of all, and then I'm going to do a light-hearted one. Sounds good. The Aberdeen Investment Trust campaign I liked the series of advertising. It was very clear. It was very, but it was very good at getting its message mm-hmm. across. So let me give you an example. Okay. There's a picture of a big blue space hopper with a smiley face. I thought space hoppers were orange. Well, this one's blue. blue. I don't know why. <laughs> this one is blue. I think maybe because the Aberdeen logo is blue. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it says, give your children a jump start. Oh, and I just it. think that's very sort of appealing. Yes. I have to say my fun one, and this is one that divides the office. I think the current money supermarket ad with Dave, if you remember it, strutting his stuff. And he suddenly, this guy suddenly turns into... Um, He's still a man, but he's wearing shorts Mm -hmm. and high heels Mm -hmm. and he's strutting. It's hysterical. (laughs) And I like it very much. Interests me, some of the people in our office don't agree with me. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life or your business. Okay, I'm sure, well, I like everybody else. I'm addicted to my iPhone, I have to be honest. I'm addicted to it. So much so that quite often my wrist hurts because I'm (laughs) too too busy scrolling and pressing. Um, You've got iPhone thumb. Yeah, I really, I've got <laughs> iPhone thumb, I've got iPhone wrist, I've got all sorts of problems there. But but I think for the for work, I think it's actually been Twitter, mm-hmm. actually. I think in terms of the influence it's had with the media, the, the way we've been able to reach out to people, to have one-on-one conversations, mm-hmm. I think Twitter has been has been the one for us. And finally, what's the best book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. Oh, I struggle because I, I really like reading. Uh, I'm, I'm quite a classics lady as well. So, for example, I very much like Tessa the D'Urbervilles, yes. Thomas Hardy. Hardy's renowned for um, generally, general misery mm. in his books. Mm. Now, what I like about Tess as a character is she's so resilient. She goes striding on whatever, despite a huge number of disasters of befalling her. 
So I think that's what I like. I also like sort of the beauty of the countryside described with it. It's a bit poldarky, isn't you, it? Oh, I, I have to say, I'm a big fan of poldark. Big fan of poldark. You know, yeah. I have to say, when he yeah. takes off his shirt, I'm quite impressed. Yes. But I am a big fan. <laughs> but um, I also think this is the beauty of the countryside. But what's so interesting, I think, is we all have this sort of dream image of the countryside. And the reality, and, and unfortunately, quite grim things that happened there mm. are very clearly explained in that book as well. And actually in Poldark, I could say that as Absolutely well, right, absolutely the right. very I mean, sad last, yeah. last episode. Cliffhanger. Oh, no, terrible. we've got to wait a year to I, find I was, out what's going to happen to him. I have tears in my eyes, I have to say. <laughs> Annabelle, that's been fantastic. Before we go, tell everyone how they can contact you, either on Twitter or LinkedIn, your website, email, whatever absolutely. it might be. Well, I'm on, uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at... Annabelle Brody S, B Annabelle A N A B E L B R O D I E S. I'm obviously Annabelle Brody Smith on LinkedIn. We also have a company page, Association of Investment Companies page. Um, my email is Annabelle at the AIC.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, please do get in touch. We've got our training program or just to have a chat about what I've been talking about today. All those links will be available on the website show notes page at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. Annabelle, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Let me wish you every success for the future and hope to catch up with you again soon. Thanks so much, Roger. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. listening to the marketing protection and finance podcast do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed if you enjoyed the show please leave a review on itunes simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash itunes and leave a review if you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.